did, by the way. Uh, not for long. <laughs> those of you online that are joining us, we just want to welcome you as well. Uh, real quick, for those of you here, before we get started, just want to, by way of a reminder, let you know that this Tuesday, 7 p.m. is our prayer meeting. Really hope you're able to come and join with us and pray with us uh, here in the sanctuary, beginning at 7 p.m. All right. So on Sunday morning's second service, we're making our way verse by verse through the Bible. We're currently in 1 John. Today, Lord willing, we're going to complete the first chapter of 1 John. And our text will be verses 8 through 10 of chapter 1. I'll invite you at this time, if you're not already there, to turn there. And then if you're able, where you're seated is fine, but if you're able, you can stand, follow along for the reading of God's Word. The Apostle John, by the Holy Spirit, continues writing and says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. <laughs> and the truth is not in us. And verse 9, a well-known verse, I love this verse, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, this is not a redundant, repetitive uh, with verse 8. This is different, as we're going to see. If we claim we have not sinned, verse 8 was, if we claim to be without sin. No, this time he says, verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, watch this, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. All right, let's pray. <laughs> we need to pray. If you would join with me. Father, thank you so, so much. Lord, I've been uh, so looking forward to teaching these three powerful verses tucked in here at the end of this chapter. And Lord, there's just so much here, and we readily admit and confess, humbly confess, that we desperately need for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, because if the Holy Spirit doesn't teach us what you want us to learn, then our time together today is going to be a waste of time. And I don't think there's a one of us here today that wants that to happen. That's why we're here, Lord. We are here because we are hungry and we are thirsty. And we're here because we know that only you can satiate that hunger and that thirst that we have. Lord, would you feed us with the bread of life from your word, especially concerning the topic of sin. Lord, would you speak into our lives and minister to us and teach us, and if need be, correct us. We need correction, and we want to be correctable. So Lord, will you do that? We know you will. You always do as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. So I have good news today <laughs> for a change. <laughs> the good news is concerning our struggle with sin as Christians. And the Lord knows my heart when I say this. Um, it's my hope that all of us, myself included, I hope you know that, myself included, my hope is that all of us will be encouraged by the teaching today in these last three verses here in chapter 1. The Apostle John, by the Holy Spirit, is going to provide us with tremendous help in our struggle with sin. Uh, when I say our struggle with sin, we all struggle with sin. Um, and it is a struggle. And it will always be a struggle, this side of glory. As long as we're in these tents, this flesh, 
we will always deal with, struggle with the flesh, the devil, the world, the big three, as I like to refer to them. And um, we will never uh, know until we get our new bodies, which if you're anything like me, oh, Jesus, come quickly. We will never know what it's like absent our new bodies, our glorified bodies, to be in this place of sinlessness, which we're going to talk about. Now, I want to kind of set the table here, so to speak. Um, John, in three ways, is going to, and when I say that there's so much here, what I mean by that is, and I was a little bit taken back in preparing to teach these three verses, because at first read, of course, verse 9, we know it well, maybe too well. And so we're all prone to kind of read through it real quick. Many of us have it actually memorized. So uh, it doesn't have the, the needed impact that it once had had it not been so well known. So when I was preparing and praying and seeking the Lord on teaching these three verses, it kind of hit me how that the three verses perfectly tie in together. And from every angle, if I can say it like that, tackle the tough topic of sin and specifically our struggle with sin. So what I want to do is go through three ways that John is going to help us today by the Holy Spirit. First, in verse 8, specific to our mindset when it comes to sin. Second, in verse 9, concerning our acknowledging and confessing of sin. And third, in verse 10, our honesty about sin. Again, this is just perfectly woven together as only God can and always does. So we're going to start with the first one in verse 8, which is that we can't be sinless rather we sin less. That's a play on words. We've talked about this before, but here John is referring yet again to the Gnostics. Um, who were the Gnostics? N Gnostic knowledge in the Greek. It's uh, the enlightened ones, the ascended ones, the ascended masters. And the Gnostics were claiming to be without sin under the banner of sin being only in the body. What do you mean? Well, the Gnostics had disconnected, disenfranchised and separated the spiritual world from the physical world. Why? Because if you separate the spiritual from the physical and the sin is done in the physical, in the body, then you're without sin. You're sinless because it's not you, it's your body. And you're not, does not consist of your body. No, it's you're, you're in this realm of the spirit, not the realm of the material or the physical. So that's how they did that. That's why they did that. And it gave them license to claim to be without sin. This is why it is that John is, I mean, hitting this head on. If you're wondering why John says what he says, that's why he says what he says. Because you have to understand that Gnosticism was so prevalent, so pronounced at that time in that day. And as we talked about, I think in an update, or maybe it was last week, so pretty bad when the pastor doesn't remember what he preached on last week, might have been the sermon, probably was, or maybe two weeks ago, we talked about Gnosticism is alive and well today. Just go to the movies. Don't go to the movies. But if you did, you would say Gnosticism. Television programs, Gnosticism. Your kids' cartoons, Gnosticism. It's so satanic. So 
they're dealing with Gnosticism, and it was really messing up these Christians at that time in that day. Because you have these Gnostics coming along saying, hey, I'm without sin. What about you? And they're like, no, I, you are? How do you do that? Oh, well, let me tell you, you just separate the body of sin. I think about the Apostle Paul, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Notice he says, who, not what, will deliver me? No, who will deliver me from this body of death in this flesh? He, he says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Now at first read, you can almost polish that up pretty nice. So it comes off like, wow, that's really profound. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Amen, Paul. You know what he's really saying? He says this, I am a sinner through and through. How about that? And it bears out in his epistles. The first earlier epistles, it's Paul the apostle by the authority of Jesus Christ, because that was in question. So he had to authenticate and validate his credentials, you know, login <laughs> credentials. He was an apostle by Jesus Christ. Okay. But then as you get later on in his life, and he's got a few miles on him now, um, and towards the end of his life, he goes from Paul the Apostle to Paul the chief of sinners. I'm the chief. No, come on. This is the Apostle Paul. Yeah, chief of sinners. Oh, wretched man that I am. Now, John is in a sense echoing this by saying that you cannot claim to be without sin. Because if you claim to be without sin, John makes it very clear in no uncertain terms that to do so is self-deception. Now I know this again is deeply profound. I hope you don't tire of me illustrating this, but self-deception means that you deceive yourself. Self-deceived, deceive self. In fact, I'm going to take it further, if you don't mind. Um, to deceive yourself means that you're not telling yourself the truth. You're actually lying to yourself. And the reason you're deceived is because you believe your own lies, especially when it comes to sin. Now, please stay with me. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. Let me explain. And pastors are the worst when it comes to this. And here's why. We are very gifted <laughs> in our ability to communicate and articulate with profound eloquence. Sin is bad, 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 bad. Why? Why, why is sin bad? because sin is bad for you. See, here's what we do. I got, I've got to, I'll take one for the team again. This is the pastor's team. We're, here's what we do. We, sin is forbidden. <sighs> Why? Uh, because sin is bad. That's why sin is forbidden. In other words, thou shalt not. Why? Because God loves you. And He doesn't want to see you unnecessarily suffer the consequences needlessly of your sin. As one so aptly put it, the Ten Commandments can really be seen as the tender commandments from a loving Heavenly Father, loving 
tender, loving Heavenly Father who says, don't do that. I've forbidden that because of how bad it will be for you, how bad it will end for you. And I love you so much. I'm trying to preempt. I'm trying to prevent. I'm trying to protect you and redirect you away from that which will hurt you. And what hurts you hurts me. Come on, parents. It's been said that you're only as happy as your saddest child. That is so true. When your parents hurt, don't you just hurt because they hurt? And it goes both ways. When, when your children are happy, oh, it's just the, the joy, it just brings so much joy to your heart to see your kids happy. Well, it goes the other way too. When your child is suffering, especially needlessly, how much does that hurt your heart? And how much more does it hurt the heart of God? So when I quote this fabulous quote, which I totally plagiarized about sin not being bad because it's forbidden, but sin is forbidden because it's bad. It's in effect what John is saying here. And this is going to be germane to our understanding of what we're going to see in the next two verses. Because see, our attitude towards sin is faulty. We have a faulty mindset when it comes to sin. We don't understand it. We don't fully grasp why sin is sin, which then in turn leads us to do something different with sin, calling it something other than sin. And that's what we're going to see here in a moment. One more thing before we move on to verse 9. I've heard it said that my sin doesn't make me a sinner, rather being born a sinner makes me sin. Now why is that important? Because think about it. Uh, I sinned. That means I'm a sinner. Okay. Uh, actually that's not true. That's not how it works. No, you, you, you're not a sinner because you sinned. You sinned because you're a sinner. You were born a sinner, which is why you must be born again by the Spirit of God to enter the kingdom of God. So you were born a sinner, and that's why you sin. See, if I flip it around and fancy my sin, <laughs> as being because, well, um, I guess my sin makes me a sinner, then you're inferring, implying very subtly that, well, maybe I should just stop sinning. Now, lest you dismiss what I just said, let me hasten to say that there is a movement today, it's been around for a long time, nothing new under the sun. It's unfortunate that it's gained the traction that it has. But it goes something like this. You can actually be sinless. Oh, really? How so, pray tell? Well, here's the, here's the logic and the reasoning. If you hear them out, this is how they get there. Listen to this. Well, can you go one minute without sinning? Yeah. Think about that one. <laughs> okay, well, if you can go one minute without sinning, then you can go five minutes without sinning, right? Yeah. Well, if you can go five minutes without sinning, then you can go an hour without sinning. <gasps> okay. Well, if you can go an hour without sinning, then you can go a day, and then a week, and then a month, and then a year. Come on. That's not true. The truth is not in you. Because the truth is that we all sin. Because we were born sinners. Nice try though. That was really smooth. I like how you 
took me down that road. And, and I took it hook, line and sinker. It was kind of like, okay, yeah, I can do a m minute, maybe, you know. But see, here's these Gnostics, you know, going, hey, I, I have no sin. Well, actually, you do, because you were born a sinner, and that's what makes you sin. So you cannot claim to be without sin. And if you try to claim to be without sin, well, two things, real quick. Number one, as we just talked about, you're a liar. And you believe in your own lies. Wow. That's amazing. You lie to yourself. Can you just let me have this one? Illustration, example. Here's me, self. I'm deceiving myself. Yeah. I can go without sin. Yeah, you can. That's what I thought. Just let me have it, I said. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can be sinless. That's not the truth. Oh, but it's my truth. Remember we talked about that? Was that last week too? Someone help me out. Again, the pastor doesn't remember what he preached on. Uh, that's my truth. You hear a lot of that lately, right? No, but that's my truth. <laughs> it can, listen, baby, it can be your truth all you want, but it's not the truth. In fact, it's not the truth in you. This is not the truth. What's in you instead of the truth is a lie. That's what's in you, a lie. You've lied to you. And here's you going, yeah, makes sense. And you believe the lie, your own lie. You believe the lie. You liar. I'm going to probably just have to leave that one right there. I guess I did my best. And so now, Lord, can you bring some redemptive value out of that? Well, this now sets the stage for what has been affectionately referred to in verse 9 as the Christian bar of soap. I like that. Because in verse 9, this is where we are first forgiven instantaneously, and then subsequently cleansed and purified. But there's a precondition. And it's that when, not if, when I sin, because we've established that, right? If you don't establish that, then I'm sorry, I'll say this in love, I'm wasting your time. The rest of the time will be a waste of time for you. If you are still stuck in verse 8, lying to yourself, listening to your lies, believing your lies, I can't, I, I, I'm wasting your time from verse 9 on through verse 10. Does that mean, did that sound mean? I hope not. It's true. And it's not just my truth either. It's the truth. So verse 9 is when, not if, when I sin, because I sin, because I was born a sinner, I can be both forgiven for my sin and purified of my sin. How? Here's the precondition, confessing it. Now this is one of those words that, we talked about this on Thursday. Um, we really, uh, I'm putting myself in there. I do it too. I'm just as prone as the next guy. We really don't understand the true meaning of words. For example, Thursday night in Ezekiel, the word abomination. Oh, we, we love that. will preach, right? An abomination. Do you know what that really means? No. Well, you need to know what that word means before you use it. Um, what is this word confessing? Is this, uh, Lord, I confess my sins. I'm sorry. Bless my day. In Jesus' name, amen. No. It's not? 
uh-oh. <laughs> well, then, if that's not what confessing my sin is, then what is confessing my sin? Confessing my sin is confessing that my sin is sin. And we're going to see this when John expounds on it in the next verse, in verse 10. But <laughs> this is the good news. Okay, watch this. How can I get forgiveness and cleansing for my sin if I don't confess it as sin? Because see, verse 9 does not say that if we confess our failures, if we confess our mistakes, if we confess our ah, shortcomings. No. It's sin. Uh, here's an example. This is probably the, <laughs> the best example, I think, and it's uh, sadly. But we've, we've removed the word adultery. You've got to say that word with a growl. Makes it sound much worse, as it, well it should. And look what we've done. We don't say adultery. We say an affair. Oh, who's this an affair? Well, wait a minute. What, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring that to the Lord for forgiveness and cleansing? No, the only qualifier for getting the forgiving and the cleansing is to confess that this is sin in your sight, Lord. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against others. This is sin. What is sin? Sin is missing the mark. It's an archery term. We talk about this in the updates with the ABCs of salvation. The archer would take the arrow and they would shoot it at the target. And if they missed the bullseye, they sinned. They missed the mark. They fell short. Well, I, I hit the bullseye one out of probably uh, 20, okay, probably 50, uh, okay, maybe more like 75 times. Well, if you miss it one time, you've broken the whole law. You've sinned. And if I'm not mistaken, the truth, God's Word of truth says that all have sinned. All. Uh, look up all in the original. You know what it means? Again, deeply profound. All. All. Not most. All have sinned and fall short, miss the mark of God's perfect bullseye standard of righteousness. So we've all sinned. So why is it then that we are so adamant about not bringing it to Him as such? See, we, we don't want to bring sin. We'll bring everything else. But what we don't realize is that unless and until we acknowledge that it is sin, confess it as sin, God can't do anything. Because He died for our sins. <laughs> is this, am I, I know I'm yelling. I don't, yeah and spitting too, free baptisms again today. But um, does that, are you able to connect the sin dots here? <laughs> See, this is what I mean about our mindset towards sin, our understanding of sin. It actually, and this might come off, I, oh, help me out Lord with this, so I, this comes off right. We actually need it to be sin. Do you know why? Because we have a Savior who died for and paid for that sin. Confess it as such. And did you notice in our Christian bar of soap here in verse 9 that it's a two for one deal? This is a good deal, by the way. I don't mean to sound so crass or, you know, but no, we just do one thing and He does too. That's a good deal two for one. What's the one thing I do? Confess it. 
What's the two things that He does? Oh, forgives and purifies. That's, that's a good deal. Where do I sign? No need for sign. He already signed it. It's finished. There's nothing else you need to do or sign. Like with Abraham, when God cut covenant with him, put him into a deep sleep, and he did not sign the agreement, the covenant. Why? Because God knew this was a covenant between God and Abraham, not Abraham and God. Abraham was not entering into a promise or a vow or a commitment or an agreement or a covenant with God. He's never going to be able to keep it. So God puts him in a deep sleep. God signs the deal in this cutting of covenant where they would cut the animals. I don't mean to be too graphic before lunch. <laughs> but that's where we get, by the way, the modern day phrase, cut a deal. It comes from the Bible. Everything, basically, they've stolen it from the Bible. Anyway. Um, but you, you can't break an agreement or covenant that you did not agree to or sign. So here again, God has the new covenant in His blood. His blood shed in our stead. And is this not the good news, the gospel? The good news is that when it comes to sin, Jesus paid in full for my sin by virtue of His death on the cross because of my sin. He did not owe that debt, but He paid it. We could not pay it, but we owed it. So here, here's the good news. Bad news, you're dead. You're a dead duck with a capital D and a capital dead and a capital duck too. Because the wages of sin is death. That's bad news. That's really bad news. You've not just ruined my day, you've ruined my whole life. Good. That's why we want it to be sin. Because see, again, unless and until we confess it as sin, it's hands off to God. And here's God waiting at the ready. Imagine this. Please think, think through this with me. Here's God who loves us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die that brutal and horrific death on the cross, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish in hell for all eternity, but have the gift of everlasting life. A gift. He paid for the gift. If, if you pay for it, it's not a gift, it's a purchase. Right? What do you do with a gift? Besides re-gift. <laughs> you receive it. Well, someone had to pay for it. Well, He paid it. What did it cost Him? Everything. We are purchased by His blood. We are purchased by a price. We are not our own. He purchased us with His blood shed in our stead. That's the good news. So I'm a sinner because I was born a sinner, which is why I sin. And then I can be born again of the Spirit of God, because Jesus came and He paid for that sin as the once and for all sacrifice. Once and for all. No sacrifices needed. It is finito. Period. Chalas. That was Arabic. You got to love the Arabic language, rough language. It's, it's finished. It's complete. It is finished, period. That's good news. Because see, I have a sin problem. And I also have a sin debt. And, I, and there's a sin penalty. And, and, you're tell, and that's bad news. And you're telling me that Jesus came. This is really good news, if this is true. It is true. Because He is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, and no way to the Father except through Him. He's the only way. So if I'm understanding this right, if I confess it as sin, this is sin, then it's been paid for? Yeah. Can you imagine bringing the invoice up to the checkout, and it's already been paid for you? And you, you bring it up, but 
you've altered it. You don't acknowledge it. You're unwilling to confess, yes, this is the debt that I owe, the amount that has to be paid. And, and here all along, someone has paid that price for you. And you're like, nope, no need. No need. Yeah. I mean, I'm not as bad as the other guy. I'm a good person. I've never murdered anybody. Oh, really? You need to spend some time in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Jesus kind of took care of that one. Yeah, you've never murdered anybody? Uh, have you ever hated someone in your heart? Well, yeah. My employer, my uh, in-laws, my... <laughs> Sorry, that was too much, but you get the point, right? Well, guess what, Jesus said? You've murdered in your heart. How about that? Hey, you're not getting out of this one. Uh, you sinned. Will you call it sin? Confess it as sin? It, because as soon as you do, dude, it's paid for. But if, if you're going to dance around it, you know, hey, yeah, it wasn't that bad. What I owe is not as much as they owe. It's not as bad as what they did. The Lord's like, well, that's too bad for you, because I paid in full for all. You're saying, I've rung, rung up quite a, a tab on my uh, sin account. Uh, not as much as some of you, but no, because I'm the pastor, right? So I'm sorry. Is there a lightning bolt coming down here? But I've rung up quite a tab on my sin account. And here's Jesus. I pay for it. I paid it all, once and for all. It's paid for. You're forgiven. And that's not all. I will also cleanse you from, keyword, all. Aren't you glad it does, doesn't say, you're forgiven. But the cleansing, nah, you're going to have to give me some time on that one. Not sure about all that. All that. I, maybe some of it, yeah, I can cleanse you of. In your case, you know, a, a small percentage of that I'll, no, all. And again, you know what all is in the original? All. That's really good news. Um, one last thing on this, and I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't, and I thought about this, prayed about this, and so I guess the Holy Spirit is prompting me on this. So here goes. I think the number one reason that we're so reticent and resistant to going all in with our sin is because of the enemy's condemnation of us. Now, just hear me out. See, the enemy will always build an infrastructure of guilt and condemnation when, not if, we sin. And the longer we wait to get to the cross where that sin was paid for and forgiven, the bigger that infrastructure of guilt and condemnation grows. And when we allow that to happen, here's what happens. Now there is a greater distance between me and the Lord, which is exactly what the enemy sets out to do. This is why in Romans 6.14, Paul would write that sin will no longer have dominion over you. That doesn't mean you're going to be sinless. It doesn't mean that the temptation of sin will no longer have dominion over you, because Jesus was tempted. It can't mean that. So the only conclusion you can come to is that it is the condemnation of sin that no longer has dominion over you. It no longer masters you. It no longer crushes you under the weight of the condemnation, which is why, by the way, Satan tempted you to sin in the first place, because his sole goal is to separate you, distance you 
from Jesus Christ. See, his strategy changes and shifts. Before you get saved, he's doing everything and stopping at nothing to keep you from Jesus Christ. But then when you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, he shifts his strategy. And now he he cannot pluck you out of the hands. Nothing can separate you, Romans 8, from the love of God. You're saved, you're saved. You're born again, you cannot be unborn again. There's neither height, nor depth, nor angel, nor principality, nor powers of darkness, or any created thing that can separate you. You're in, you're saved. Okay? So Satan knows that, because he knows the Scriptures better than we do. So what's he going to do now? Well, I can't, I can't undo that. But here's what I can do. I can separate them from the Lord, create distance between them and the Lord. And the way He does it is vis-a-vis sin's condemnation, having dominion over us. Here's what that looks like and feels like, by the way. And I know this all too well. You sin. Okay? Don't get too creative in your imagination. I'll talk about myself. I sin. I know it's shocking. I sin. Again, not as often as you do. But <laughs> okay, that was the last time. I won't do that again. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I couldn't help myself because I'm a sinner. That's why I did it. <laughs> I just sin right now. So anyway, I'm good at this <laughs> the sin thing. So uh, I sin. Don't use your imagination again, but just I sin. Okay. And I probably should fill in that blank, lest you fill it in for me with something just so horrible. Um, um, yeah. What should I use as a, an example? Um, uh, anger. There we go. Oh, that's a good one. You know, Paul said, uh, in your anger, sin not. Yeah, I've rewritten that in the JDV. In your anger, sin and sin big. That's me. Oh, I, I can do, we're doing this. That's sin. Okay. Is that better? So I'm a sinful, angry, pulpit-pounding Palestinian (laughs) pastor. Okay. So I sin in my anger. What are you going to do? Well, I didn't blow it that bad. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah, but, you know, I, yeah, it wasn't that, you know, yeah, it was. Well, what are you going to do with it? Well, it's, and then there's the enemy. No, that was really bad. You know, if I were you, I, I would just kind of lay low for a while. Because how many times have you brought your sin of anger to the Lord to forgive? I mean, come on, there's got to be a limit. I mean, that's, that's cheap grace. Don't ever, ever buy that lie. That's borderline blasphemy, by the way cheap grace? Excuse me? Cheap? Oh, what Jesus did for me? That's cheap. I'm saved by grace. That's cheap. Nah. Ah, There's my anger. I just sinned again. I'm telling you, man, I'm good at this thing. So what am I going to do now? Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't think the Lord's too happy with you now. I mean, how many times have you told him, Lord, I'll never do that again. You made vows, you made promises. You promised God, I'll never do that again. And you did it again. And you're going to go to him again? I wouldn't. And here's another thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to church either if I were you, because my goodness, the person you were angry with, they're going to be there at church the same day that you're there. And uh, they're going to take your parking spot. That's going to make you even more angry. Yeah. And then it goes from there. I can just write the next chapter in this horror novel. Um, Then all of a sudden you're not in the Word. Your prayer life has certainly been damaged and hindered. And Satan knows that, by the way. It's been said that sin will keep you from the Bible, and the Bible will keep you from sin. See, Satan knows that. Thy word have I hid in my heart, David said, that I might not sin against thee. Sin will keep you from the Word. See, because again, Satan knows so well that if we're going to stay crushed under the weight of that condemnation, he's going to distance us further and further and further from the Lord. 
And all we have to do, if we would but go to Him, forgiveness awaits. It's been paid for. What are you waiting for? You got the, is a horrible illustration. You got the winning lottery ticket and you won't redeem it. Listen, if you have a better illustration, will you please let me know? Because that's, that's just what came to my fallen, sinful, angry mind. That's, that's what it's like, though, if you think about it. You're the beneficiary of a trust, and you don't redeem it. You don't avail yourself of it. Why? Because Satan has beaten you down so much that he's got you believing that, well, that's unavailable anymore. The offer has expired. <laughs> and so when we get to him, and this is conviction, please, please, please never mix up conviction with condemnation. In fact, this is the litmus test by which you can know whether it's the Lord or the enemy. Condemnation drives you away from the Lord. Conviction draws you closer to the Lord. That's the test. So if, if you're coming under the conviction of the Lord, you'll know it's the Lord because it'll draw you, propel you to the Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, wretched man that I am. Lord, forgive me. I blew it again. And can you imagine like the Lord is in heaven going, you did again? What is wrong with you? I've had it up to here with you. Like God's surprised. We go to Him, God, I, I sin. Like God's going, I know. I knew you would. You did? Yeah. In fact, I, I know everything. I know all. I'm all knowing. And so I know that you're going to sin before you sin. How about that? You do? Yeah. So when I come to you, you're not like, you know, disappointed? Never. Never. The only way to disappoint the Lord is when we don't go to Him. Because you know what we're saying to Him? When we don't go to Him with our sin, confessing it as sin, here's what we're saying. Jesus, thank you very much. That was for everyone else, not me. No need. I'm good. No, you're not. You're a sinner and you need the Savior. It's the height of pride and haughtiness and arrogance. I don't want to beat this thing to death, which I probably already have. Well, because the wages of sin is death. That's why I'm beating it to death. But before we leave this and move on to verse 10, please, please, do you understand what John is saying to us here in our struggle with sin? How encouraging is this? How good is this news about our sin? It's been paid for. What are you waiting for? Just bring it to Him. You've been redeemed. It's there at the ready for the asking. Why do you hesitate? Why do you wait? Why do you fight it? Why do you harbor it? Why do you let the enemy beat you up because of it? Why are you living under the condemnation of it? Just come to me. All you that are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you rest for your souls. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh. Actually, this is the gospel again, good news. And we've talked about this over the last several years now concerning the good news, the gospel of salvation found in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's move on to verse 10. This actually ties into our third and last one, which again is different than verse 8. It's that we can't claim that it's not sin. Now this is where John's going to expound now on how it is that we call it everything but sin. 
Let me rephrase that, say the same thing in a different way. We call sin everything but sin. And as such, we claim that it's not sin. Wait, how did you do that? Because here's what I did. I, I changed the labels. No, I, I did, right? You go into the store and uh, you, you change the tags on it. By the way, you have cameras now for that, just so you know. Um, but you, you, you change the label on it. And um, that's what we do with sin. And we relabel sin. We don't call sin, sin, which is why instead we play it down, soften it up, and refuse to claim that it's sin. Now, this is going to be strong, but it needs to be strong. And it's not me being strong, though I could. It's John being strong. Did you catch what he said at the end of verse 10? If you try and claim that it's not sin, uh, you are calling Jesus a liar. No. Did you, did you read that? Or are we reading the same Bible? Reread verse 10. That's pretty strong. You're blatantly, rightly calling someone a liar because they're calling Jesus a liar. And he says that the Word has no place in your life. Why can the Word never have a place in your life? Because the Word says you're a sinner. You're a liar. And if you say that it's not sin, then you're flipping it around and calling Jesus the liar. Because somebody, you know how it is when you got two opposing versions. One of them is not right, because they can't both be right. Can I use the uh, marriage example? My wife's not here, so I can actually today. So I don't have to be on my best behavior. So here goes, husband and wife. Two entirely different versions of the problem. Uh, try, try solving that problem when you both have polar opposite versions of the problem. Wait. No. Okay. If I'm right, you can't be right. If you're right, I can't be right. So one of us isn't right. That's a firm grasp of the obvious, I think, right? So who's right? Who's true? Who's false? Who's right? Who's wrong? Now, I want to be careful here, because oh, over the years, uh, across the pastoral biblical guidance desk of marital biblical guidance. I've, oh, I've had my share, because of course I'm, you know, my marriage is perfect as the pastor, right? So, and, um, but I, I, early on in our marriage, my wife and I will have been married for 35 years this year, by the grace of God, uh, believe me, by the grace of God. Yeah. That woman has treasures in heaven. Oh, I wish she was in this service today. That'd be great. So, I mean, oh, honey. Anyway, so, well, it's going to take a turn here, I think, in a moment. But early on in our marriage, I mean, I'm so pious and proud. And, you know, she was the one that was always wrong. She needs to come to me and apologize. So come on, we go days silent treatment. No, don't look at me like that. You, you know what I'm talking about. Oh no, I'm not, I'm not going to say sorry. She needs to say sorry to me. She's wrong. I'm not wrong. Oh, okay. Well, have fun sleeping on the couch for a month. <laughs> by the grace of God. And the Lord's always so gentle, isn't He? And gracious and kind and patient and long suffering. Well, He just 
ministered to me. And it was by way of a truth spoken by a saint of old who's now with the Lord who said this, it's not, have you been wronged? It's, have you wronged? Have you wronged? Not, have you been wronged? Have you wronged? So how does that apply to this? Because we have to come to the table of forgiveness, acknowledging that we have sinned. Because if we don't do that, then what we're saying in effect is that Jesus has sinned, and that is blasphemy. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because if I say that I am without sin, that means that Jesus as my Savior who died and paid for my sin is wrong. And I'm right. Do you see how I got there? That's what John's saying. See, he, he kind of flips it around again and goes from, you cannot claim to be without sin or yourself deceived. And you cannot say that there, it is not sin, claim that it is not sin, because if you do, then you make Jesus out to be a liar. That's both sides of that table, right? That's pretty serious, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I'll close how we began by just simply saying that we have a faulty mindset when it comes to sin. You know what a mindset is? It's when you set your mind. <laughs> you know, you set your alarm clock. By the way, here's a great example, illustration. You're going to get this, I hope. Depends on how good I do it explaining it. You know, when you set your alarm clock, you know you have to get up at a certain time. You set that time in your mind. You, that's a mindset. You set the clock. You get up before. Why? Because you set your mind. Okay, again, I sure hope you got that, because that's the best I got. That's a mindset. You set your mind, like you set your alarm clock. So it's set. It's set. And then here comes the Word of God, the truth. And it says, yeah, you might be set, but you're, you're deceived in what you set. It's wrong. You set it for the wrong time, if you will. And if you, if you stay in that mindset concerning sin, then we have a, well, we don't have a problem. You have a huge problem, because God is truth and true, and every man is a liar. You're calling Him a liar. I wouldn't. How's that working out for you, by the way? I can assure you on the authority of God's Word, it will not end well for you. So here's the takeaway. Our attitude toward our sin will directly impact our relationship with Jesus, who paid for our sin. Don't ever underestimate. That comes off pretty strong. Well, John's doing it. I might as well join in. I'll speak for myself. Oof. We do err greatly when we, myself included, underestimate the impact of our relationship with Jesus Christ because of our attitude towards our sin. And it becomes now this hindrance to an intimate, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It's standing in the way. I'm tying the hands of the intimacy of my relationship with Jesus Christ, with the ropes of my obstinance, when it comes to my attitude towards sin. The sooner we take sin seriously and take our serious sin to Him, the better. And as soon as we do, Jesus is like, and it doesn't take much, by the way. Uh, this is the last thing, last, last thing, I think, pretty sure. Um, 
Don't miss this, please. This has helped me and served me well for many years in my relationship with Jesus. When you go to Jesus with your sin, He's waiting with arms wide open. And like the parable of the prodigal, oh, it's it's kind of like if I'd have known this, I would have done it sooner. I always know it was a good decision when my only regret is that I didn't do it sooner. Think about that poor boy in, the, in that parable. I mean, he's eating basically pig slop, cleaning pig pants, which for a Jew was unclean. It was anathema. It was unthinkable. And he stayed away from his father under the guilt and condemnation of his sin unnecessarily. And here's the father waiting. In fact, you know, in our culture, uh, let me, let me have this one too. This will be the last one I ask you to let me have. Is that okay? Don't look at your watches. I'll, I'll make it fast, sort of. You know, we miss it in our culture. That parable is so powerful. It's so powerful. So the picture of the father is one of him longing for, aching for his prodigal son to return. So much so that he's waiting for him, watching for him to come, doubtless praying fervently without ceasing continually. Please bring my son home. And the parable, there's some interesting detail because it it says that when he saw his son coming, he was already in the driveway watching with anticipation. In the Middle East, you would never see this. I promise you, you would never see this. A father gathering up his robe to run to his son. The father runs. He runs to his son. You'll never see that in the Middle East. No, in the Middle East, the son better be running to the father after what you did. No, not my heavenly father. He's running to me, embracing me. Hey, party. And think of that, this poor boy, he's rehearsing what he's going to say to his dad when he gets there. Dad, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll just be the lowest of your servants. Just take me back. Imagine his surprise and remorse. What do you mean remorse? Regret. No, I thought godly sorrow is no regret. No, 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 no. Watch this. You got to know he's thinking, oh, I wasn't expecting this. My, my Abba, my Baba, my Papa, my daddy's running towards me. He's, if I'd have known that, I'd have come home sooner. And maybe that's the word for somebody. You bring your sin to Him. The sooner you do, and He's waiting for you with open arms to embrace you, not to beat you. But see, the enemy is lying to you, and you're believing it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, man. You imagine the lies the enemy told this poor prodigal son. Man, if you go home, your dad is going to give you a licking. No, he's not. He's going to embrace you. He's been aching for you. He loves you. He's going to run to you. He's going to restore you. He's going to forgive you. You're already forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you stand before I weep uncontrollably and smudge my mascara. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, so much. Oh, Lord. Why, Lord, are we so obstinate when it comes to this? Why why have we 
cowered and acquiesced to the lies of the enemy concerning this. When the whole time you've just been waiting for us to come, bring you our sin. Oh, Lord. Lord, would you now do what only you can do by the Holy Spirit and take this that we've seen here today and apply it to our lives, especially for those today that have been heavy laden under a burden of sin and guilt and condemnation. Boy, the enemies just had their way with them. And Lord, let it end right here and right now in this place. And please, Lord, for all of us, when we come to you, would you just remind us <laughs> that what awaits us is your loving grace and embrace. Thank you, Lord, so much. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.